0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
1: Welcome to another hour dedicated to the notion of enlightenment. An hour for inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, philosophical quandaries, uncovering dissonance, and just a whole lot more, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. An hour devoted to exploring the edge of consciousness and all that is implied thereof. Indeed, an hour dedicated to learning something more about ourselves. An hour designed to help us go further inward and perhaps challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowledge, remember, as inseparable from the total experience of reality. And this is an hour where we suspend our foregone conclusions recognizing that everything we think we know might just be wrong. And with that attitude of open-mindedness, we hope to enrich our endeavor and brighten our path toward enlightenment. All right, every week I read a few of your letters as our way of paying respect to the importance that you play in helping us to shape and improve our show. T.C. wrote, I am so very inspired by your enlightened intelligence. Just since today and your last week's show on heyhouseradio.com, I am just totally blown away. You are totally awesome. My respect for your insight and intelligence are beyond compare. And Ravinder, how did you find such an awesome being to be associated with you on a regular basis? God's take care of me. That's <laughs> how. Continuing on, she says, hugs to you both. And Ravinder, Princess Diana is my hero too. So, Odd that when I popped in on your show today on the Werner von Braun, my father worked with him in the time you spoke of. Amazing. Well, if a letter can leave me somewhat speechless, yours certainly did, T.C. Thanks for the truly amazing feedback. It is my good fortune to be able to share with Ravinder. And believe me, she contributes as much to me as I might to her. It is also my great honor and privilege to share with all of you out there, and I do see that as a trust. Lee wrote, love your show, Eldon. Well, love the pithy comment, and thanks, Lee, and I do appreciate your listening. Gabriella wrote, and this is a long letter, so I'm going to quote. I just listened to your show about the self-help industry and self-responsibility. I was so glad you addressed the James Arthur Ray controversy. I've seen a couple of television reports about it, and I would love to add my two cents on this. I gathered from your show that you believe that responsibility for what happened is mutual. I respectfully disagree in this case. Yes, people are responsible for their own actions, and anyone in that sweat lodge could have gotten up and left. From what I understand, a couple of people did have enough presence of mind to leave the sweat lodge, and one man did so just in time to survive. However... Continuing, I believe that Mr. Ray is the person ultimately responsible for people in his care. For this reason, he knows that people who attend his workshop have a certain type of personality. They are very driven people, highly motivated to make changes in their lives. They also idolize him and believe that he has all the answers. He should be aware of that kind of susceptibility these people have to his influence. His refusal to let people leave the sweat lodge was definitely negligent and ultimately criminal on his part, in my opinion, and I hope he is held accountable. I hate to be a cynic, but I'll be willing to bet he gets a legal slap on the wrist for this. Rich people don't go to jail, poor people do, and from the footage I saw on TV of Ray's mansion and the kind of duds he likes to wear, he definitely isn't in the poor category. Love your show always gets me thinking, end quote. All right, well, thanks for such a well-articulated letter, Gabriella. My point is to emphasize the need for each of us not, and I can't emphasize that word enough, not to idolize, worship, or otherwise give away our power and suspend our own critical thinking, our own sense of full self-responsibility in these matters. Indeed, remember, I discussed the fact that there are areas of the brain uh, that are in charge of decision-making, and these areas literally shut off, to use the words of PET scan folks, when in the presence of a perceived authority. We don't want that, and knowing that we are susceptible to this offers us the opportunity to avoid it. Now, with that said, I do agree with you in this instance. However, even if the culpability is mutual, between Ray and those in attendance, that does not in any way relieve Ray of his liability. Mr. Ray should be held accountable for his action, inaction, and negligence. I do have more confidence in our judicial system than you, though. Uh, I have locked up. I have put away those rich, fat cats. And I think James Arthur Ray will get a fair trial and a reasonable sentence. He is, after all, on trial in Arizona and they're not known to be bleeding-heart liberals by any sense. All right, now that's all the time for our letter segment today because I'm going to treat a question put to me by my 11-year-old son and, less directly, by many of you. However, I do invite you to opine by leaving comments on my website or by emailing me at elden at com, and or joining me on Facebook. I do read all of your letters, even though we don't have time to share them on the the show, and they do impact our programming, so thank you. I truly do appreciate your support and hope you enjoy our programming. Okay, last week we discussed self-help and personal empowerment. Ravinder and I spoke at length about how neither can be accomplished without a committed level of self-responsibility. I inserted the idea that enlightenment was impossible without practicing genuine self-responsibility, and for me that meant Taking responsibility for everything in your life. As I have said many, many times, you may not be in charge of the stimuli the world brings to you. But you're absolutely in charge of your reaction. Following the show, my son asked me, So, what is enlightenment? Okay, we chatted for some time about the meaning of life. The next morning, as often as the instance while showering, my thoughts sort of distilled. They came together in a way that I'll share with you now. For me, enlightenment is a process. I think of it somewhat like a light bulb attached to a rheostat. Little by little, as the rheostat is turned up, more and more power reaches the light bulb and it begins to shine brighter and brighter. In the beginning, using this analogy, the tiniest bit of light is light. In the darkness, it takes only the tiniest illumination for the light to be appreciated. In total blackness, we move about blind to obstacles and treasures alike. With just a hint of light, we begin to gain some navigation ability and at least avoid the larger obstacles. As our light grows in its strength, it illuminates more and more of the path on our journey. Now we begin to find some of the treasures and avoid some of the so-called hidden dangers that we might have fallen prey to at an earlier stage, when in this place of our development. In time, if we're diligent about it, the promise holds that we'll all become illuminated. An illuminated being is capable of doing the things the Buddha, Jesus, Mahavira, and others have done. Heal the sick, feed the hungry, and so forth. Perhaps one day, even walk on water. From my perspective, I know no one who walks on water, but I do know many who through prayer, meditation, and so forth, have healed individuals and I do know many who are committed to healing the planet. And to me, this marks a stage in the evolution of the enlightenment process. But just a stage. I do not see the experience of a miracle as enlightenment. The ineffable experience, the miracle experience, these wake, these wake us up a nudge at a time. They speak to us about possibilities They urge us to delve deeper into our own being and examine our own lives with a reverence for the miracle we are. They instruct us that there is much more to being human than the so-called meat machine that through mutation springing from a random universe just happened. They coach us to choose once again, and when we do, assuming our choice is correct, our small inner light bulbs, if you will, grow brighter and brighter. In my opinion, I I do know that trite but true expression that argues we all have opinions just as we all have rear ends, but still, for what it may be worth to you, in my opinion, whenever you do your very best in anything, you approach a spiritual experience. I've had the good fortune to work with many elite athletes, and they all have expressed how that sweet moment in time is truly a spiritual experience. Each of us is unique in some way, and when we express the highest ability within our grasp, it is our way of saying thank you for the gift. The saying goes like this, all that I am is a gift, and what I do with it is the only way I can repay. our way of saying thank you for the gift. The saying goes like this, all that I am is a gift, and what I do with it is the only way I can repay the giver. I know two ways that this takes place. It is by doing my best, and it is by going to the aid of another in need, truly putting ourselves in service. You must live into your life, who you are, your uniqueness, your experiences, all of who you are in order to travel the path of enlightenment. Living into who you are includes fully embracing your true self with unconditional love and acceptance. It absolutely requires that you examine who you really are. Peeling back the layers of falseness, pretense, sound bites, personas, and the like to get to the true you. I don't think this sounds easy, and I guarantee you that it is not. That said, I also guarantee you that there is no more worthy mission in life if life is to have any meaning beyond I live, I consume, I procreate, and I await my death, and or I died. I hope that makes sense to you. I'm going to use it to segue into today's show, for our guest today is the author of Return to the Sacred and Inspiration Deficit Disorder. We'll spend much of our time on his work, Return to the Sacred, but we'll dance with some uh, of the ideas behind, the inspira- is behind Inspiration is a Deficit Disorder. And you'll want to stay tuned to hear about the special bonus book launch happening this week for his newest work, Inspiration Deficit Disorder. Return to the Sacred presupposes that we need to go back somewhere to gain something that we obviously have left or lost. In fact, both of these titles indicate that we're missing something. I want you to think about that. What is sacred in your life that's missing? Is everything sacred? Is all life sacred? I mean, the lives of animals, of the unborn, of the terrorist, and so forth, or do we equivocate on sacredness? What should be sacred? We'll give our guest today the opportunity to enlighten us. Jonathan Ellerby is a spiritual is the spiritual program director of the Canyon Ranch Health Resorts. He holds a doctoral degree in comparative religions. He has spent more than 20 years in a personal, professional and academic exploration of the vast realm of spirituality, healing and consciousness. This journey began at the age of 10 when he started having spiritual experiences and began a meditation practice. In an effort to understand his experiences, he dove deeply into the spiritual literature of everything from Joseph Campbell to Hindu and Buddhist texts. His ongoing passion has led him around the world and he has studied with spiritual teachers from more than 40 different from more than 40 different cultural traditions. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Jonathan Ellerby.
0: Wow, thank you for that fantastic introduction. I I'm uh, looking forward to meeting myself. <laughs>
1: Well, that's good. That's great. I love it. I love it. That's a place to start. You know, to begin with, tell us a little bit about your back, particularly those early experiences at 10 years of age that set your spiritual quest in motion.
0: Yes. Well, you know, as you and I have shared before, uh, before getting to talk online with everyone else here, you know, these are the kinds of topics we could not only spend hours, but days, you know, exploring and answering. And so to, to describe what those early days were like, you know, is, is difficult. And, and, and I think it speaks to uh, the heart of the conversation about enlightenment. You know, one of the hallmarks we find in the religious studies um, scholarship is that the very um, term ineffability, right, the very term uh, that means indescribable, is, is okay. one of the f- most universal terms we have for an experience uh, a, a true spirit or an, an enlightenment kind of experience. And so that's my way of setting up. Um, those days were very, very hard to put into words. I, I remember them well, and yet it was so much more about a feeling in the world than it was uh, something that I could easily recreate for others. Um, it was very much about experiencing a very palpable kind of energy in all things, between all things, and and even within myself. It was an experience of sensing that the very nature of life itself was communicating on actual intelligence and actual wisdom that if I just grew quiet enough, paid enough attention and listened, that it would actually instruct me in ways that would make life more rich, more fulfilling, and I guess I would even say easier. And, and so... It, it was an extraordinary time uh, that I continue to draw from.
1: An ineffable experience at 12 years, 10 years of age. huh? <laughs> Linguistically incapable of communicating. I think you did a very good job at telling us what that was.
0: <laughs> Why well,
1: did you write Return to the Sacred?
0: Well, interesting. It, it, I think it is connected to your first question because, over time, as I tried to understand what these uh, spontaneous mystical experiences really were, um, as you can imagine, as an adolescent, I, I kind of thought maybe I was the only one. I kind of, uh, in some ways, felt kind of alien and like a bit of a, um, an, an, odd, uh, an odd person among my friends. And yet there was this other part of me that felt maybe I was exceptional. And so, as I started to study the world's literature and some of the other things that you referenced, I realized um, that I was anything but exceptional. That that actually millions of people uh, throughout time have had these mystical awakenings, spiritual experiences, and uh, and and that I that what I had encountered was not unique to me. Which which actually made it even more extraordinary, more compelling. Because what I realized was this this ultimate nature of reality if we could use such grand terms um, wasn't just a reflection of my personal psychology it was seemingly a reflection of something universal and something so real that anyone could access it if only they found the right doorway and so return to the sacred was really my my effort to share uh, a bit about my own personal journey to find the various doorways in to this, Experience of knowing, this experiencing, this experience of awakening, and uh, and so I, I, I highlight some of my travels and, and personal encounters, but but ultimately try to bring it to a point and share that that we all have different spiritual personalities, and what works for one person won't work for another, and yet when we find what works, the the key to open our door of perception, you might say, um, then the place that we step into is. it again a universal place uh, a place of ultimate connection and knowing
1: so many spokes one wheel all directed to the hub and you share how these spokes might be a path that uh, that enlivens a spiritual journey for each individual is that the idea
0: that's exactly it you know many paths to one summit and uh you know, I break down, as you know, I break down the book into um, four particular areas. I mean, it's obviously more than just four chapters, but four particular sections that talk about spiritual practices that draw on um, the body or very physical kinds of uh, practices. There's uh, a focus on practices of the mind, a uh, focus on practices of the heart, and then finally a focus on, on practices of the spirit. Of the soul, or the spirit, and each of these four categories of type have three dominant pathways or three dominant activities that anyone could do, Uh, and again, the the, the trick is just to find the path that fits, that you can commit yourself to with diligence, with focus, um, with surrender, and and really, I would say, with a long-term commitment.
1: It's a wonderful book. I love the book. Thank you. I, I highly recommend the book. It's uh, very well written. And and it does what what you hold it out to be. But now you and I have discussed it it would be wonderful if this show were a two or 3 hour show because you're one of those people that we could just spend hours and hours with Jonathan. Uh, that said, I, I want to get to some of the practical things that are going on in the world, and then and then we can come back and talk a little more about about your work. But you heard in the setup the the deal with James Arthur Ray, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I mean you're on record as stating that you do not think non natives should run sweat lodges. You you, you no doubt uh, you know are familiar with this entire matter of Ray and the sweat lodge in Arizona. What is your opinion there? How do you come? I mean, when you see something like this as a spiritual icon, a spiritual leader, people are going to come to you and they're going to say, Jonathan, what happened? And what, what do you think of this?
0: Well, you your going to answer it. Your, your intuition is working very well. Um, something you may not know is that actually when this took place, I I ended up being uh, called by media across the country because I have studied ceremonial steam baths in cultures around the world and actually do run a form of interfaith sweat lodge ceremony. So, um, you know, I, I have actually thought about this and commented on this at length, and I, I do have some strong uh, feelings. You know, the, the comment that non-Native people should not be running sweat lodges is really, uh, to be more, more specific, non-Native people, should not be claiming to run native sweat lodges. So, I, uh, you know, I've been in uh, steam baths, ceremonial, spiritual steam baths, like a sweat lodge, in Africa, in Mexico, in Peru, um, across the United States and Canada. I believe that the use of these environments for health, for healing, and spirituality is universal, and it's part of our universal heritage. What I'm very cautious about though is people borrowing, appropriating, and for that matter, making up stuff.
1: Now okay, do you think
0: well you, yeah, you know, yeah
1: in we, specificity. James Arthur Ray.
0: Yeah, so now we're getting to the to the, the crux here. What I can tell you, um, and I want to be cautious because obviously there's a legal of proceeding course. going on. Right. I'll just make a few simple statements, and people can kind of put them together. One, I absolutely believe that when I run a lodge, and I do run what we call spirit lodges at Canyon Ranch Health Resort. I've done hundreds of them, and I have been in probably over a 1,000 Native American lodges in my life. Um, The lodge leader is without a doubt responsible for what happens inside. There is no question in my mind that if I open the door in the ceremony and someone is begging for help, screaming for help, calling for help, telling me someone's in distress, that is absolutely my responsibility, to investigate what what is going on, how serious uh, is the challenge, um, and, and what is what is the health and capacity of those people involved. Um, I have certainly been pushed to my limits by spiritual teachers, and I, I think there's a place for that. Um, but those spiritual teachers need to be absolutely, deeply practiced and experienced in those, you know, whatever the practice is that they're using to push people's limits um, before they take that on. So it was uh, it was over a decade of training before I ever ran my first lodge, uh, or for that matter was acknowledged by my mentors to run a lodge. So I would say that's that's one important thing to know. The second thing that's important to know is a lot of, what was reported as uh, taking place in that that event was what I would call very uh, unusual. Now, again, I can't—I wasn't there, so I can't say right. specifically what happened. But uh, you know, the idea that there were eight rounds—very unusual. Most rounds or right. uh, four rounds for Native American traditions and non-Native uh, traditions. Um, it sounded like there was quite a, a mixture of, of practices. Uh, going on in the Lodge, and to have over 60 people in a small space. I've never heard of anything like that. I've never heard of anything like
1: that. I'm going to ask you to hold it, John, and then we'll come back to that after the break, but we're coming up on a hard break here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you also when we come back from the break about these, these snakes that people like to hold and love on in church. If you're listening to Provocative and Light. we are discussing the way of the sacred. Uh, we'll return after a short break and a few words from our friends. Be sure to stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner Talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier from losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses. Learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I N N E R T A L K.com. Innertalk.com.
0: Confusion deception, manipulation, feeling a bit controlled, lost. Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
1: Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're talking about the way of the sacred with Jonathan Ellerby, It's your chance to take a a good opportunity to talk to Jonathan, so do give us a call. I'd also like to remind you about the upcoming I Can Do It conference in Tampa, Florida. I'll be presenting both an all-day workshop before the conference and a two-day seminar during the conference, and I'd love to meet every one of you there. Take a look at the details on HayHouse.com and plan to join many of your favorite Hay House authors there. I hope to to see you, and and please, you know, uh, come up. Uh, Again, I would really personally like to meet all of you. I would also ask that you please, in the words of Facebook, like our Provocative Enlightenment Facebook pages. And while you're there, I invite you to join me personally on Facebook as a friend. Finally, be sure to check out the free programs and sign up for our free newsletter when you visit eldentaylor.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Jonathan, are you going to be at the Hay House uh, ICANN Conference in Tampa?
0: Oh, you know, I was just at the one in Toronto, and I'm afraid I'm not going to be at the one in Tampa. I'm oh, sorry I'm going to be there. Yeah, I, I know it's, it's right. a lot of fun. and. Uh, I know I saw this, you yeah.
1: up in, in Toronto, and I'd love to just you know sit down and we'll take that three or four hours. But but before break, you were you were speaking about uh, uh, Ray's uh, Sweat Lodge, and I think you had a couple of more points that you wanted to make there.
0: Yeah, I, I you know just I wanted to sort of highlight a couple of things that that you I think very wisely shared at the beginning of the show, and uh, I think when it comes to these topics, we need to remember that that very often. Uh, two things that may seem in opposition can both be true. So some people say, was he responsible for everyone? And others say, well, were the people responsible for themselves? And I, I just want to say very clearly, as someone who who does advocate that people try, um, you know, rigorous and even extreme spiritual practices, if it seems appropriate, that both uh, sides need to be accountable in the process, that you're... Mentors, teachers, and guides really need to show their credibility. They need to show you that they've done their work, they've done their research, they've done their training. And any good yoga teacher, priest, ceremonial leader, sweat lodge leader, and so on, uh, should not be insulted or offended if you ask them to tell you a little bit about their background or how they came to do what they do. You should be very satisfied with the answers. and so there's an important uh, quality of accountability, I believe, that, that anyone in a position of leadership and power needs to hold. On the other th- on the other hand, one of the, the most important things to emphasize is that we all, as you very, very well said, uh, we all need to take responsibility for our own choices and actions, which means that even if we thought we did the research, even if we thought we trusted someone who we've put our life in the hands of, and things seem to be going off, trust your gut, trust your body. You know, you can always try something again, uh, but you need to, to respect yourself and and make choices that are healthful and health-promoting, because the pursuit of enlightenment is not going to be very useful if you end up um, in a critical condition. No. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Uh we have interviewed a number of shaman using Native American practices on this show. And not one of them has actually been a Native American. And I'm going to, you know, go back to something you said earlier, because you have said this doesn't make any more sense than the idea of a bunch of Indians reading Hebrew and intoning or chanting. And these are not your exact words, the sacred Hebrew letter energies, say from Kabbalah. And, and and again, that's not exactly what you said, but that's that's more or less the gist of it. So what do you think of comments that have been made by Native Americans that complain about all of this fictitious outback unknown teachers and and insist that it's uh, perpetrated by, quote, New Age frauds?
0: Well, once again, we have a good mind link. And I, I have been in places where I've made the joke that, you know, if, if, if Jewish people walked into a Native American community and found them running a a bar mitzvah that they made up, and uh, <laughs> uh, rehearsing Jewish-sounding words, you know, they, would, they would, there would be lawsuits everywhere, and I say that as a Jewish person. Um, so again, there's two sides to this. I think you've hit on something really important. As, as someone who was mentored by tr- very traditional Native American people on reservations, I can say that there is a lot of history of hurt, and heartache and disrespect between, uh, it almost goes without saying, but between the dominant culture and Native people, and one thing that's, that's happened again and again has been the, um, the intentional destruction and appropriation of their culture, which means that some groups of non-Native people have worked very hard in the last few hundred years to 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 stamp out and, and even make illegal Native culture. A lot of people didn't know that Only 100 years ago, it was illegal for Native American people to practice their religion. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, in the very same community, we find, two doors down, someone who is self-proclaiming as a a healer or shaman based on a book they've read or a dream they've had. So what I like to say is that it's really all about representation and identity. I have no problem with non-Native people saying that they do they uh, participate in earth medicine, like the terms that Stephen Farmer uses, or that they do shamanic work, meaning that their work is influenced by, by shamanic traditions or cultures. The line that gets crossed is when people claim to actually be Native American or to speak on behalf of Native American people or, or to be capable of representing Native people. So that's the line we need to, to be careful of crossing. Uh, let Native American people speak for themselves. And then if you're doing something that is similar to what Native American people do, well, you don't need to make it more special by um, by pretending it's something it's not. You know, I think the world right. is big enough that, that new ceremonies and practices are going to evolve, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We don't need to borrow credibility from someone else, because really that's an insult.
1: Okay, your intellect, your books, they 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 triggered off some questions in my mind as I went through them, as I read them. So I'm just going to rapid-fire you some quickies here, and we'll okay. jump over to inspirations, okay? Absolutely. And again, I like to tie this into what's going on in the real world. So the Air Force recently installed an outdoor worship area for pagan and Wiccan cadets. Is, is this an outreach, embracing more of the sacred, in your opinion?
0: Yeah, if you want a quick and dirty answer, I'll say... Sounds good to me. <laughs> I think it's a good move, and uh, you know, again, what are we trying to do? Is is it about, you know, where are we putting our focus? Can we can we put it on accommodating people's connection to the sacred, or do we have to put it on our differences and our divisions? And hey, if you like being provocative, what about this uh, President Obama comment about the uh, uh, Islamic community having the right to put a mosque wherever they can afford one and wherever. It serves their people. I mean, people become outraged by this simple statement that we are, have religious freedom in America. I, I don't understand. i, I got to
1: tell you, Jonathan, my newsletter, which is delivering right now, is a feature article on that mosque, and the feedback has been just incredible. Yeah. And it goes both ways. There are intense emotions about that. Um, that is a truly provocative subject, and, of course, we do. You know, we do have rights. We have lots of rights. On the other hand, uh, because we have the right doesn't mean that it's it's the smartest thing in the world for us to do. I mean, we you could erect a billboard uh, right near... Uh, nine 11 site the twin towers and that billboard could you know have somebody giving us all the bird and have a statement on it that 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 laughed at us as fools and that would be legal so you would have that right i think there's a question about sensibilities that we all need to be sensitive to uh you know, religion often divides, as you know very well, and, and spirituality should not. So if we look at the spiritual side of these, these issues, and that's one of the reasons that I love your approach to it, uh, we, we can get past the divisive part. But I think, nevertheless, we all must be sensible about the sensitivities that, that other people have. I, I, I know, for example... One of my books has been burned by uh, an individual I know very closely, uh, simply because it talks about the power of the mind, and his particular faith uh, does condemns that uh, kind of activity. So I would not want to be in his home, in his face, and in his family's face, lecturing him about uh, the appropriateness of using... Uh, the power of the mind to uh, change a person's life, uh, that would be inappropriate of me. I, and, and I guess that's kind of how I see it.
0: I've, Enlighten I've, me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a couple directions we can go. So let me, let me start with some comments about this uh, current topic, and then maybe go to something a little broader for the listeners. I think the thing that, uh, that I, I pose is a question, you know, really not that I have the answers. But, um, one, can we, can we be a little less judgmental and a little less reactive of the person who's leading the country? Now, I'm not saying I'm a Democrat. I'm not saying I'm a Republican. The truth is I'm a Canadian. But one <laughs> thing that I know as a Canadian is that even if you disagree with the person running your country... Just as children sometimes disagree with their parents, there's a certain measure of respect that we afford them, Absolutely. that we don't constantly attack them. We don't constantly badmouth them. When I used to be in corporate development, we had a, a saying we used to share with some of our, uh, our uh, clients, which is that when an employee, particularly when a manager badmouths their own manager, they both end up looking worse. And if you're trying to empower a business, a family, or a country, can we find ways to have dialogue that are empowering rather than divisive? So that's kind of one piece of it for me. And the only other thing I would add, because I know we got lots more to talk about in little time, is that I I think one of the things I'm, I'm wondering is, is, could this in fact have a healing effect? Now, I'm not advocating either way. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think people really need to be sensitive about what they do with their rights. I think that stating that that Muslim people have a right to put a uh, a place of worship near ground zero is a simple fact, and I think it's fair. Then the next question comes, is a good idea? I don't know if it's a good idea. I can understand why it would offend a lot of people. And yet, if this community can coexist and even be supportive of the ground zero area, show their peaceful support of the American community and people, wouldn't that go further to healing the past than to being relegated to somewhere else? It's almost like, you know, if someone commits an act of abuse in a family and it's never talked about again, as opposed to the person's invited back in to, to represent themselves and to, to, to be accountable for what they did. So
1: you, you have a very good point however imagine here you are in Atlanta Georgia Martin Luther King's grave um, and the kKk decides that uh, to honor Martin Luther King they want to put a you know a, a symbol of the kkk right there next to it
0: uh but think, so here's an important thing to, to to mention though if I can just interrupt you yeah, One thing we have to be clear on is that the KKK, as an example, because I think it's a good parallel, I think it's something that would come to mind for people. It is an organization that is implicitly founded on principles that are that are racist, uh, and, and it, is, it is explicitly, universally an organization that is antithetical to, for example, the community you suggested planting it in. We have to be careful, though, that we don't uh, label the, the Islamic community as being synonymous with being anti-American, or being very, very hateful, good or being non... You know, because what a lot of people don't realize is just how big the Muslim faith is, and a huge number of Americans, uh, very patriotic Americans, are Muslims. We don't get to see that, though, because they don't make headlines, right? They're the ones paying their taxes... A voting Republican, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there is a, a very diverse Muslim community in America today. And that's the only uh, a piece that I would put forward as an argument, which is very good point. A lot of people would feel the hurt because they've come to stereotype the Islamic the community as being anti-American. But we need to be careful because that's, that's just not true.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think, I, I actually don't think we have stereotyped the, uh, Muslim community as being uh, terrorists but mm, I would I, I with that all said I I personally would like to see more moderate Muslims out front uh, you know speaking uh, about the differences uh, between uh, true Islamic practitioners and those radical terrorists that would hijack their faith that I, said let's let's get off that one and well, and let's let's go ahead. So you had something a, else to add?
0: Transition. Well, here's a good transition. In okay. inspiration deficit disorder, one of the things that I tried to create was an opportunity for uh, two things to occur. People who are just struggling for daily balance to and, and, and who for whom uh, maybe enlightenment may just seem like too far a reach. You know, I wanted to create very practical tools. How do you diminish stress? How do you live more authentically? How do you feel more represented in your life? Which, I think, as you mentioned earlier, is actually a spiritual movement. But the other thing I also want to do is to put something forward so that for those people who are passionate about their spiritual journey, they can start to see how they maybe get in their own way. And so I talk about five dimensions of experience, five dimensions of who we are as people and I think this is relevant to what we've just talked about, because we all have a place inside that is I would say aligned with or reflective of our original source. We all have a place within ourselves that is unique. I call it the essence. You could call it the true self. We also carry around wounds, our history of, of, of difficult experience and losses. And then we have our what I call our persona, some might call the ego. Um, but I, I prefer to call it the persona, the layer of the self that's really built from the outside in. We've used reactions and the stories of the world around us to create the idea of who we think we should be. And then that fifth layer that I spend a lot of time talking about is is the layer of, of habit and how we feed the persona. Well, the point of bringing it up in our conversation now is to say that each one of these five areas or five layers of who we are has a distinct perspective on any topic. From the essence, we can say that everyone has a right to practice whatever they want, wherever they want. From the persona, we can say, yes, but we have to deal with the stories of our cultures and our religions, and maybe the essence could respect the needs of different communities, you know, and so on. So there's this this complexity because... In essence, and maybe this will be a springboard into in a talk about enlightenment, in the original source, all things are okay. Even violence, even crime, even you know the, the, the very uh, horrors of the world all find their place in the scope or the perspective of the original source. But then we move into the essence and we have to say, but is it right for me? Is it right in this moment? And be careful so, that our decision doesn't come from the wound of the persona, which is a reaction that maybe comes not from clear thought, but just from our history or something we were told.
1: Okay, so I, I want to make sure I understand this, because it, it may it lends some enlightenment on, on um, uh, a place I got stuck in your book over Nietzsche. Uh, but <clears throat> what you're saying is the source... Uh, you're implying that within the Source all things are possible and all things are okay. Is that correct?
0: Yes. In, in my experience, and I would even say my personal experience, and I would also say in my research of the experience of, of, of oneness, the, the kind of some of the peak enlightenment mystical states, in those moments of awareness, The sense of right and wrong dissolves. The sense of longing, attachment, or preference dissolves. Awareness of the complexity of life, its beauties and horrors, all coexist equally in those lived moments of mystical awareness. The challenge, of course, is bringing that into your daily life, because we do need to make choices, and we do need to stand for what we feel is right and fair and just.
1: Okay, now, but I guess I just want to make sure that I understand that. When in this source, are you saying that the what we would consider, from a persona standpoint, to be the evil of the world, are you saying that it exists there, or are you saying that? There, all of that is shed, uh, we're, we're, we're free of that, we, we see it with a different light, and it, it's not judged. Which, which way are we saying this?
0: Well, there are sort of uh, obviously different kinds of mystical experiences, um, but I am saying that in the experience of, of this unitive consciousness, this enlightenment consciousness, the notion of evil becomes absurd. Okay. Quite literally, it doesn't make sense, because in, the, um, in some of the classical mystical experiences, uh, the sense of separateness and division between ourselves and anything else in the universe dissolves. And yeah. as okay. such, we don't even have the dualism to judge one thing as right or one thing as wrong.
1: That's precisely where I was going. I I misunderstood you to begin with. I thought you were saying or implying that within the source, uh, evil was possible, and and I, I don't think that's what you're saying.
0: Well, no, although I do think that when we sit within the source, we can look out at the world and observe what we might otherwise call evil. I don't believe that in that place of being aligned with the source, we would choose to accept it in our daily choices, okay. though we can make peace with it in our hearts. Do you see how there's a difference there? So I do. Uh, the way
1: I I, y- sorry. You and I could, uh, we could hatch it on this one until we got the threads into many 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 splinters but what i'd like to do you know with a little bit of the remaining time that we have jonathan is you've got uh, a launch coming up on your book that we're supporting inspiration deficit disorder it's a marvelous book um and and you've already spoken somewhat about it but tell everybody about this launch i mean you have special gifts you have other things going on if i wanted to get a copy of this book what's the best way for me to do that today
0: well, probably the best way would be to go to the Inspiration Deficit Disorder website. It's inspirationdeficitdisorder.com. com. It also links through my website, jonathanellerby.com. dot com. Um, but what you will find on that Inspiration Deficit Disorder page is not only links to get the book, but once you get it, you can then register to receive some free gifts, uh, including a workbook, including a uh, two teleseminars, and most. Exciting, uh, the opportunity to be entered to win three trips uh, a six night stay for two uh, on a retreat in uh, Beach Town in Mexico, a 14 day trip in Africa, and a four night uh, stay for two at a Canyon Ranch Health Resort, one of the most uh, sort of acclaimed health resorts in the world. So you could win a trip to Mexico, Africa, uh, or Canyon Ranch, all uh, trips focusing on retreat seminars, uh, practices to enlighten and restore your, your life, your soul. Um, it's kind of a win-win thing. And as well, if you look at the bottom of that page, you'll see all the wonderful partners we have, yourself included, uh, and who are offering lots of great gifts and, and information about their work as well, which is all really wonderful. Been lot of- you want
1: to take advantage of it. <clears throat> Two wonderful books, Return to the Sacred. Uh, get that at Amazon. We've got links on my page uh, there uh, where you are now in the chat room. Um, go to Jonathan's page to get infra- uh, Inspiration Deficit Disorder. We're just simply out of time. I want to thank you, Jonathan. I want to thank everybody, all of you out there, for listening to Provocative Enlightenment. I hope you'll join us again next week Uh, when my guest will be Michael Murdad. We'll be discussing the process of waking up. Finally, if you like our show, do let us know. I do enjoy your letters. Uh, We'll try and stay provocative. Until the next time, remember, believing in yourself always matters.